Hamilton. I stand here today with many mixed emotions. For it was five years ago that my late husband, Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., stood in this very spot and told the nation about his dream. Yesterday marked the 15th wedding anniversary for me and my late husband. Your presence here today indicates to me your great love, devotion, and dedication to those ideals which my husband set forth in his dream and which you will continue to follow through until they are fulfilled. I want to thank all of you from all over this nation who have come here in support of this Solidarity Day. I want to especially thank Hello and welcome to Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum for 90.3 The Core. Um, We're here tonight with Walter Harris, the founder of Shiloh. How are you, Walter? I'm blessed. I'm blessed. Thanks for having me. I'm blessed. Thank you. Um, Shiloh stands for supporting the homeless and innovatively loving others. And Walter just returned from the Poor People's Congress in Washington, D.C. last week. And the Poor People's Campaign um, is a national call for moral revival um, and is a campaign started by Dr. Martin Luther King. Um, it, it was a revival of the campaign started by right. Dr. Martin Luther King um, and was stalled after his assassination in 1968. Um, the modern iteration of the campaign was created to tackle core issues, including systemic racism, economic inequality, militarism, ecological devastation, and Christian nationalism. It was founded by two progressive Christian leaders, Reverend Dr. William Barber and Reverend Dr. Liz Theo Harris. Um, and they recently just had what is their annual national Congress in Washington, D.C. There was a presidential forum, which got a lot of attention, but they also had a lot of different workshops and some good kind of consciousness raising initiatives. Um, uh, so, Walter, what was your experience like going down there? Wow. <laughs> wow was my first experience. Um, it was a very beautiful thing to be there. Um, like I believe 30, 30 states from all over the nation were present. There were, there was a freedom school and during the freedom school, you know, all organized, you get to pre-arrange a morning class and an evening class. 
and they provided lunch and like you know just like fellowshipping and like um it was amazing but the most interesting thing for me to see was um where reverend dr barber um really brought to the presidential candidates that was there was the same questions the same exact questions like why did you not address poverty at all during last year's debate and this is not once again about partisan democrat republican it's not about that at all it's about poor people and how 43% of America is poor, that's real. That's mm-hmm. super real. And we have to face that fact. But we don't. Mm-hmm. We live in this illusory bubble and world believing that everything is okay. But just sitting at the bus stop, a person was dropped off out of a police car and was homeless and had nowhere to go. Yeah. You know? Is that their fault? Maybe not. But that's what we're, that's what the poor people's campaign is investigating is that you know system systems are failing the people, and some systems work, but we have to have we put them in office. It's our house, mm-hmm. so the voiceless need a voice, you know. And that's what I'm I'm proud to be part of this because I'm not only proud of um, to be part of the poor people's campaign, but on the second day we established uh, the National Union of Homelessness. And um, shout out to Anthony Prince. I met the uh, the founder of Food Not Bombs. And, you know, these are normal people. But they're like, they're saving the world low-key. They're saving the world low-key by being so benevolent and standing up against the systemic failures and saying, no, you're violating human rights. No, you're violating, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's violating so people are waking up, and this is a revival, and it's a moral revival, and it addresses so many different topics. What's much needed, like healthcare for all. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's very I, just from the work that I do. I, I mean, for people that don't know me, I do outreach for the homeless community, and I work hand in hand with community health workers, um, disease protection people. Um, no, I'm sorry, disease prevention. And from that outreach, you know, there's there's folks that have been denied treatment at the local hospital. But because they were scared to tell them what was really wrong, could have died. They had walking pneumonia, but they possibly had HIV, mm-hmm. you know. So it's just like, you know, the failure of that is that she, she couldn't produce her medical card. Yeah. But when, when upon interviewing her, because I knew what to do, you know, and took her to certain uh, resources, she was able to come out of that. Now she's like a keynote speaker in certain places. Wow. But regardless of anything, that's the power, that's the power of this movement is to have have these leaders that are burrowed doing this fight, fighting out everywhere, is to come and unite each other, or come and unite, you know, and, and join the Poor People's Campaign and and fight back, give a voice to that voiceless person, you yeah. know, to, you know, go ahead. Yeah, and I think the reason that the Poor People's Campaign, I think, is so resonant among so many mm-hmm. community-based grassroots organizations is the fact that it's addressing those on-the-ground disparities and issues that are affecting those people directly. Yeah. Um, I think probably one of the biggest barriers that all of these poor people's movements face is that every poor person is often seen as an individual failure rather Mm -hmm. than a societal failure. The fact that they're in that position is because of a system failure, not Mm -hmm. because that they themselves failed. Mm -hmm. And I think the healthcare issue is a perfect example of that because, I mean, you were talking about physical ailments that are affecting many poor people, but also there's mental health that has been a huge issue among poor populations. And um, like one of the biggest things that like I see is that, 
many people like pathologize poor people as all mentally ill, which isn't the case. Not at all. But if you don't have access to that kind of mental health care, mm-hmm. you're going to be in a position where you can't sustain yourself, where you're very vulnerable to different kinds of structural failures as well. Um, and I think a universal kind of system of health care obviously helps to address that problem, but you have to make it client-centered and, and person-centered as well. But let me show you how systemic it is. Yeah. Now... The $15 an hour wage that everybody's fighting for. Mm-hmm. It's valid. It's great. Yeah. Awesome. Nonetheless, what if I'm on Medicaid right now and then that's passed? Yeah. If I'm making, now I'm making too much for the Medicaid. So now there has to be a whole nother moral fight mm-hmm. on raising yeah. uh, the bar. Because what I'm really poking at to resonate back to healthcare is the fact that my Medicaid doesn't cover the specialist that I need. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, con- concentrated poverty may be more in the poor black community, right? Nonetheless, it's more prevalent in numbers in the white suburban and like poor white area. Yeah. You know, so it's like, I'm sorry, more white disabled folks are coming mm-hmm. out of the woodworks and things of that nature. Yeah. And we have to talk about this because it's distorted narrative, distorted yeah. that, oh, no, it's the problem of this person, the problem of this person. No, we voted for you believing that you would do certain things to benefit mm-hmm. the society as a whole. But, like, trying not to get political is almost impossible. But in this day and age, we're asking for um, unity. You know, we're asking for unity for for um, for the gay community, for the LGBTQ, for everyone, for the black community, for the Muslim community. Because everyone's being disenfranchised and pushed aside. And they're trying to pump this, like, other thing going on saying, you know, make money and everybody's happy and capitalism is this, this, and that. It has nothing to do with the GDP. It has to do with human dignity. Yeah. You know, asking for human dignity and certain certain rights. Yeah. You and know? the populist campaign highlights how a lot of the measures of success and economic success aren't really inclusive of how people's lives are going and how, mm. you know— are we being a sustainable country? Are we caring for everybody who needs it? Oh, one bedroom in New Jersey, you need a minimum of, as an individual, you need a minimum income level at like $18 an hour. Mm-hmm. A two bedroom, we need at least like $24, $25 yeah. an hour. As a family, if you have kids, a three bed, it's insane. Yeah. At, at what? If I don't have a college degree, if I don't have access to this free tuition, I don't have that opportunity at social mobility. Yeah. And even going back to your point about the minimum wage, if we were to actually address the inflation of the minimum wage since the 1950s it should mm-hmm. be around 20 at least 20 dollars an hour at this point and a lot of states with these new these new laws passing minimum wage laws aren't tacking it to inflation mm-hmm. so you're still going to have wage decreases in terms of the actual value of the wage and it's just going to hurt more people as the cost of living continues to go up so i think what was another great thing about because back in terms of Medicare for all, too, mm-hmm. that gets thrown around a lot these days on presidential yeah. candidates. Right, but right, right. you have to address what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. Medicare for all is a great thing, and we should have a national health care, public-run health care system. Right. But you also have to address, is it going to actually be helping people? You know, mm-hmm. So obviously something that we'll continue to look out for. Um, another thing that they talked about a lot, too, is militarism, which mm. often isn't talked about how that affects poor people. Um, and the way we're spending money on the national level. Um, what do you think was the biggest thing that you saw from that kind of demand that was made? The demand that was made, the um, the narrator, Joy Reid, uh, Reverend Dr. Barbara, Reverend Theo Harris, 
they didn't let anyone drift. They gave the same exact questions. Mm. And when it came to militarization, they're saying our military, it was basically the budget that Donald Trump had passed. And the allotted amount to the military budget and the allotted amount to the military budget, our military budget, even if we took millions from it, we would still have three times as much as any country around us, China, mm-hmm. anyone. The next know? 20 combined. Right. Yeah. So that's what, so we're, so we're saying, why are you taking this from social welfare, the alleged safety net programs? Why are you taking it from the social welfare programs? Why are you not giving this money to anti-poverty networks? You know, why are you not giving this money to Shiloh, who's boots on the ground, who's also giving point of contacts, who's also getting a person from homelessness to housing, mm-hmm. to who's connecting them to life state, life-saving resources? You know, why not give the support to, I don't know, the brothers, the, the, uh, uh, an encampment of folks living outside in a park right now? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Why not? Like, the governor, some, I believe the governor of New York is trying to get um, IDs passed for everyone. Yeah. It's going to be like, a Six Flags Great Adventure line around the motor vehicles line. But yeah. nonetheless, that's justice. Mm-hmm. That's justice. It's that radical love. It's justice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're not asking because people throughout history have asked and, and been served, you know, temporary vetoes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So it's just like we as the people, we, we're trying to focus, the Poor People's Campaign, to be more specific, is trying to galvanize and mobilize and organize and organize and organize. Yeah. Until, you know, there's justice for people because mm-hmm. there's a huge inequality in, in, in America where it's supposed to be the land of opportunity and, and plentiful. Yeah. You know. And it, I think being, we were at that encampment on Saturday. Oh, mind you, yeah. let me say one thing. Also, I'm new. I'm mm-hmm. new to this whole movement. I've studied a little bit of the Poor People's Campaign. I talked to from a brother from Harlem um, who was at Resurrection City, you know, and... What is Resurrection City? Resurrection City is what Solidarity Day okay. was all about with Coretta Scott, um, with Coretta Scott, Scott King. King. And in essence, he told me in the news, they lied and said there's only like 50,000 folks. There was really 100,000 folks. And there was like military on the right and the left. There was a clinic, a health clinic, right on your right as soon as you came in the door. Or as soon as you came into the Washington Square Mall. On your left was like a little food bank and stuff like that. And what they didn't say... Aretha Franklin pulled up. This is coming from the old brother who was there. He was 18 at the time. What they didn't say is that Aretha Franklin came and pulled up and gave a million dollars, right? A person was trying to provoke people to fight and go crazy. He was throwing rocks from outside the encampment. And the brother told me the leadership of that place snatched them up, tied them up in ropes, and made them stand before the council of, of leadership there. Wow. And then kicked them out just to keep the peace. Mm-hmm. And then the fire department came, and then it got real, and it got out of control. Yeah. You know? And there's a whole lot more that I can't say, <laughs> but <laughs> let's just put it like this. You know, the, the Poor People's Campaign is legit. It's real. As, as, a, as a new person, I feel totally revived by meeting people from California that are fighting against 200 people encampments and fighting against uh, police brutality, gerrymandering, and all these things. You know, because even how, how, how reality was in the past, in the 1950s, as you spoke of, 1950s going forward, it was unjust to renting to poor people mm-hmm. or to black people to be racially. But we also have to steer away from the race because this is happening to multiple races of people. There's injustices everywhere. Yeah. You know, so we're putting a spotlight on that and then we're addressing that. We're not trying, and, and, and on a local level, I'm a, I'm a coordinating committee member and I work within uh, Central Jersey, which embodies Trenton, which embodies New Brunswick. You know, we're working towards now going into like Elizabeth, North, and Jersey City and having all New Jersey connected. South Jersey is doing their thing. 
you know. But, like, we're trying to all connect up and synchronize because there's people on every level that's fighting it. And if we sync up together, it's a stronger fight. Yeah. You know, and Sun Tzu once said is that, you know, the point of, the point of war sometimes is not even go to battle. It's just to win the battle without even having to go to war. Mm-hmm. And that's what this is because this is a non-violent thing. Yeah. We ain't out here with AKs at the White House. Now, mind you, if I was reincarnated back then, who knows? I, you know, but you know, it, it, that's justice because there was it was bullying. It was mm-hmm. this racial bullying and saying no, you can't rent here, or no, you're, you're this, this, and this. And I've, I, I put something on my social media. Look up my name, H E R R E S. Go to my Facebook page and look up how they was treating black folks that moved to the suburbs back in yeah. the day. And that was in so, 78. And mind you, yeah. hold on, let me clean this up. I was adopted by a white family. My father fought in 1919 who raised me. He died. He died when I was 13 years old in 1998. So the man who loved me probably went to lynchings. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying here? Yeah. My mother was alive till like 28, until I was like 20 years old. But they didn't care. It was, it was just love. Mm-hmm. You know? And then I met my real birth parents. And they was addicts and messed up in the game. So for, for me to have my, degree, my high school diploma is one, like, success, whatever. But have a couple college credits is not good enough. I may be wise, but, like, in the system where I'm at, you know, I'm a, I'm a dual felon. Yeah. You know what I mean? So let's talk about mass incarceration. Let's talk about racial profiling within the community. We can't skip over these things because this is what happens to poor people that sets them back. So on a local level, what I've done as an advocate is to say, I'm going to pull up in Trenton and teach somebody on how to, do, how to get federally bonded, you know, and, and show them how to, like, you know, just hop in and, and attach themselves to a resume, attach their resume and build a resume and, you know, complete interviews and things of that nature. But beyond that, we need programs, social programs that the budget's trying to pull from, social programs that are getting brothers equipped with technology because it's a huge technology divide. Yeah. Huge technology. Can mm-hmm. we talk about that? Yeah. Can we talk about it? So a good friend of mine went to Rutgers, worked at Princeton, right? She worked in daycare. When she would go to daycare, she would say, oh, the parents can see their children on their phone and they can watch them. Um, and, you know, they can see them on the phone and they can just like, and they're learning in a different way. And what I mean by that is that in a regular daycare in the hood, right, in an urban area, in a poor area, right? The children, it's a quick simile. The children are still playing with blocks and shapes. But in the Princeton daycare, the children were playing with iPads and then doing blocks and shapes on the iPads through a touchscreen. That's real. Because now when that child grows up in his child development time and becomes, he's already 20 steps ahead of the other Mm -hmm. child. And then they blame that child for acting up. Yeah. That's not just. Mm -hmm. You see? But now if they allow social programs that maybe allow chess and public speaking or, I don't know, spoken word or meditation. They did a study on meditation that they say traumatized children um, with, with doing, like, mindfulness meditations and qigong and deep breathing techniques were able to, like, not get go to detention anymore. I don't know the actual numbers. We can Google that. There's Google out here, the almighty Google. We can look that up for all the scholars out there that want to cite things. Go ahead and Google that. But nonetheless, this is the truth, the justice, and the righteousness of all things. Yeah. Right here. It's the Poor People's Campaign because, you know, it wasn't actually until, if we want to get real again, it wasn't until Martin Luther King Jr. died that the Fair Housing Act was passed. Yeah. And there's still a lack of affordable housing. The National Union of Homelessness was knocking 
down doors in the suburb and pulling up and making women and children and families hold hands and saying, we're not leaving until the marshal come because HUD promised them 10% of housing back then in the, in the late 70s, early 80s, I believe. Mm. You know, rest in peace, Casanova. I've never met the man, but I've seen the documentary and they spoke of him when we declared the National Union of Homelessness. And it's not personalizing any of this. I'm just speaking of the mass, like California has the highest population of homelessness in the nation. Second to that is New York and we're 24 miles from that. So this is a problem right here in New Brunswick and Shiloh was fighting that every single day. And so are other organizations and we're working hand in hand and filling in the gaps in, within these programs. But, there's, it's not being addressed by all the people. Like, the homeless are not talking, so I've become a voice to the voiceless. Just as all these reverends, all, all these spiritual leaders, all these community leaders, all the people that have joined the Poor People's Campaign and got into memberships and leadership and organized themselves to fight against the injustice in their own area. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so I'm sorry. I just No, no, But no. That's, that's really what it is. You know, it's like I was touched by this because it's invigorating to know that as an organizer, I'm not alone. Yeah. You know, and I, and I work. I, I I welcome to work with anyone within the community, outside the community, government officials, whoever wants to talk and build. Google me, and <laughs> literally Google my name right now, Walter Harris, H E R E S, and Google the Poor People's Campaign. You know, and 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 join your local organizations. There's local coordinating committees everywhere. There's local chapters of it everywhere in New Jersey. So get involved. Look us up. Yeah. I think that's the the battle sometimes too is that a lot of people aren't often aware. I think New Jersey is a perfect example of what you were talking about in terms of real estate. There's mm -hmm. a huge, huge entrenched legacy of yeah. redlining. If you yeah. look at the anti-poverty network of New Jersey yeah. or of New Jersey Uncommon Truth, that mm -hmm. whole report lays out the the decades and decades of redlining mm -hmm. that have kept people in privileged status in these pockets. They don't they don't see homeless people sometimes. <laughs> Um, they're not visible. Right. Um, and, you know, we were at, you know, a few different encampments in New Brunswick. Yes, we were. Yes, this were. weekend, mm -hmm. in Saturday, um, where there were dozens of people who were living in conditions that no one would ever want to be in. Mm -hmm. um, and I think what the Poor People's Campaign, I think, confronts really well is that America is one of the wealthiest and prosperous nations in the world. Why are people dying on the streets? Right. Why can't... Why are people too poor to live? And that's that is the that is the irrationality of the system. I think is yeah. that we can provide. We have so many resources. We see, we have so much mm -hmm. to give, but it only goes to a certain few people. Um, Do you see my shirt? <laughs> Do you see my shirt? Yeah, it says "Fight Shout Poverty." Fight poverty, not poor people. And I think that is that is. No, 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 so oh, not the poor. Not the poor. Okay. Fight poverty, not the poor. <laughs> I can't see it from below this. <laughs> um, but yeah, that that's how. That's the best framing I think you can get from any organization is that this is not a person-centered problem. It's a system-centered problem. Um, and until we address those, we're still going to have the same issues that we have, you know, since, since this campaign started. And I think another thing, too, that is often forgotten, too, is that King's legacy, this is, a, this is the direct descendant of King's legacy, this, mm -hmm. this campaign. Mm -hmm. And people don't often talk about how in the later half of, of King's life and, and his work in the civil rights movement, he was very radical, very much talking about the divide between the poor and the wealthy in America, how that was impacted through the racial systems that were that were enacted in, in Jim Crow and through the legacy of slavery. Um, and, and it's often 
the way King is remembered, I think, in, in the mainstream context is that he was just a civil rights leader who stood up for people, but he actually was addressing much larger systems that still need to get addressed today. And that's why the populist campaign is, is such a big is such a big campaign now. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that, you know, obviously you took in a lot from, from this campaign. What do you hope to to do after this in New Brunswick? Uh, (laughs) I know we have an event. There's Shiloh has an event coming up. Yes. (laughs) Yes. But what I plan to do with Shiloh and what I plan to do with poor people's campaign are intertwined, but different. Yeah. Firstly, with the Poor People's Campaign, what I, what, what's what's happening and the agenda um, that I'm working with the committee with and other tri-chairs and everyone, national teams and whatnot, is, I, I believe, uh, is organizing. Is organizing and mobilizing and galvanizing and getting it out there still to people that don't know about it, but people that are already organized. Mm-hmm. Is, is to learn and, and, and share in each other's struggles and see the victories and the losses and recoup and keep fighting. Yeah. You know, and keep fighting. And then it's leading up more so into uh, a march, mm-hmm. a march in 2020, I believe. June, tw- yeah, something, I yeah, believe June that. 20. Don't quote me. Yeah, June 2020. So it's leading up to that with the Poor People's Campaign. How, because the homeless are vulnerable populations that intersect and also, we didn't touch on the intersectionality between the red line and between the gerrymander, between the race. All of these things intersect. Mm-hmm. And, and they intersect in such a way that we forget that they intersect and we try to blame it on one of them. Yeah. You know, and we can't. Mm. But what Shiloh is doing is like we intersect with all the, the, the populations, the immigrant, the, um, the, the black community of mass incarceration, ex-felon, things of that nature. But what Shiloh is specifically focusing on now is is mobilizing and getting a infrastructure like a day center, and spreading out, going almost seven days a week. Um, we're currently at like three days a week, four days a week sometimes. But you know, beyond our food and clothing initiative that's happened for the past five years, weekly and biweekly and monthly, there's been feedings and initiatives and clothing and barber shops and mm-hmm. all these things. But beyond that, and the toiletries and running an emergency shelter. Um, with Shiloh and beyond running, um, you know, debating back at city council for other people's rights that they should just, you know, file a bill that's already been placed two years ago and let people have to sleep inside, mm-hmm. you know. So I was fighting for human rights with Shiloh. So Shiloh has become slightly political, but it was never set up to be that. So there's a need. We started like the Shiloh Speaker Bureau, like the Speakers Bureau. So we have some formerly homeless individuals and myself because I was formerly homeless speaking on on what we overcame and how we're still helping other folks but shiloh's main agenda is to get a shell a year-round shelter because it's much needed you know i can't say too much because i can't violate anybody's personal thing but to generalize a narrative if there's a huge gap in between once you get the resources you need and finding a house yeah and the system that be it, it it's functionable but when you're in chronic situations and chronic homelessness, and the way I'm framing it is in chronic populations of homelessness, and you're in that chronic circle, and what I mean, like every three years you fell into homelessness a couple times, right? And y'all can Google HUD for that clear definition. But nonetheless, we have to look at this and say, wow, what, wait, why are these people, why are these numbers up all throughout the nation? Mm-hmm. So New Brunswick is a byproduct, as I explained before, in between Philly and New York. 
So numbers pop up, and we, we work together on some data that there's a lot more numbers than what y'all think. And it's, yeah. it's a little overlap. We're still clearing up some data. Yeah. But I've lived in those streets. I have the illest case study known to man right now mm-hmm. where I could go blindfolded and walk around the streets and still know where I'm at. Yeah. So, like, there's easily 100 folks in the streets. And there's a social need. And that's what the purpose of a nonprofit is to address the social need. You know, we're just a grassroots organizers because we have more freedom in helping people through being grassroots. But we, we're, we're moving forward into becoming our own 501c3 and keeping the partnerships that we have because we also have an interfaith coalition. We have lovely, awesome, dedicated uh, student coalitions that support us and whatnot. So that's where Shiloh's going and the poor people's going. But like Shiloh and like the poor people's campaign, the National Union of Homelessness, the Anti-Poverty Network, National, the New Jersey Coalition and Homelessness, they support the work that we do. You know, Congressman Pallone is aware of what we do. You know, Senator Book is aware of what we do. I spoke with some delegates when I was in D.C., you know. So it's like they're aware of the work. And, and that puts accountability on the municipalities. That puts accountability on the people that say they really helping folks. You know, we in the streets every day. And sometimes you don't realize I'm in your office because I'm the person that sent the person that you're talking to. Yeah. who's in your office. And I'll brag about it, and I'll, it's, it's nothing but facts, mm-hmm. is that for the past five years, majority of the referrals of people exiting out of homelessness came from Shiloh. Mm-hmm. Because we're constantly out there. We're a point of contact for the homeless in their darkest hour, and we go where no other organizations go. Yeah, And that's a fact. And I'm just warming up, folks, because I'm, I plan to move closer into the inner city and, and that's where the real need is, and that's where there's a real systemic violence, and there needs to be some moral revival within that area. Yeah. In short, <laughs> you know. But thank you. Yeah. Um, sorry, um, I got on tangent. <laughs> no, but no, I'm no. very convicted. I'm an activist and yeah. organizer. So. Um, but yeah, we're definitely starting to keep, I think, better track of the people that we're coming in contact with. I think one of the biggest issues sometimes is that the people that we're trying to go in, and the power people we're trying to go to advocate to. Mm-hmm. They're looking at at a paper that says there's ten people in New Brunswick who are homeless, and right. that just isn't just right. isn't true. It's just not yeah. factually true. Yeah. But there's an event that Shiloh is helping out at St. Peter's. Do you want to talk about that? Oh, so we're having our health fair mm-hmm. uh, July 11th from 12 to 2 p.m. at 19 South Second Avenue in the Social Hall of Highland Park. Uh, we'll be having BMI health screenings. We'll probably have the infectious disease department if you want to get the HIV check. I believe. Uh, Hyacin is actually having the national HIV testing day coming up too so check that out as well June 23rd around there okay somewhere around there well that, that already passed so maybe that maybe it's coming up in a few days. <laughs> yeah I love the 23rd but uh, um, you know but we're, we're getting there July July 11th and then following July 11th we're gearing up for a march in September possibly so, a community forum too if we want a yeah. community forum yeah but that hopefully come after yeah. beyond some closed doors. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so, so they can respect the poor people and give them what they want. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So Shiloh is gonna, definitely going to be out there more in the coming months and years to come. Um, I think that obviously homelessness is still a huge issue in New Brunswick, but there are community organizations out there doing the work to try to solve it and get people a better life. All right. This has been Core of the Matter, the public affairs forum for 90.3 The Core um, with Walter Harris. Thank you, Walter. Thank you.